Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Nothing in the medical world is the way it used to be. Change is everywhere. The economic pressures, the political pressures, and the very men and women who choose medicine as a career has all undergone disruption. Add to this maelstrom the issue of race, the shocking lack of black physicians, diseases that overwhelmingly impact black communities, and the inherent complexities today of the doctor-patient relationship. Add all of this together, and you see all the problems of medicine compounded and multiplied by the issue of race. This is the world that my guest, Dr. Damon Tweedy, writes about in his new book, Black Man in a White Coat. Dr. Damon Tweedy is a graduate of Duke Medical School and Yale Law School. He's an assistant professor of psychiatry at Duke University Medical Center and staff physician at the Durham VA Medical Center. His columns and op-eds have appeared in the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, the Raleigh Observer, and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Damon Tweedy here to talk about Black Man in a White Coat, a doctor's reflections on race and medicine. Dr. Damon Tweedy, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. It's great to have you here. In thinking about this and and in the things that you write about in Black Man in a White Coat, there are so many issues that all seem to be coming together and, and sort of moving in on each other at the same time. Certainly the issue of race, the issue of how medicine is changing, the issue of the doctor-patient relationship in general, and as it relates to some of the racial issues that you talk about, that there are just so many issues that are conflating themselves right now that it makes all of this so much more complicated. Yes, I mean, that's certainly true. And so in the book, I really, uh, I'm looking at two different issues. Uh, one issue is this issue of, uh, the, the differences in the health outcomes among black patients and, you know, the, the larger population. There's a term that we use called health disparities, and, you know, there's so many factors that go into that. You're talking about issues of economic status, issues of segregation. Uh, there's just so many, you know, so many factors, you know, that are at work there that, that play into that role. There's also the doctor-patient relationship, pressures to see patients very short in short visits, not being able to get to know patients, seeing people... Uh, you know, not establishing relationships with patients. So you're seeing someone in this setting, and then the next time another doctor sees the person. All these things really uh, work against, you know, uh, people in general, but particularly so among uh, communities that are poor and marginalized. And so, so the book really explores those issues. But then it also looks at it from the doctor's perspective. You know, from my own vantage point as an African-American doctor, uh, going through the um, training process and, and sort of the unique experiences that I faced as well. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you talk about early on is that people said to you that maybe you shouldn't even be a doctor, and you were originally approaching this in a very kind of post-racial kind of way. Yeah, I mean, certainly in society, there's, you know, there are uh, limited expectations in terms of what it means uh, as far as being a black male in terms of success. You know, people will steer you in certain directions. So I'm, I'm tall, I'm naturally tall, and so there's certainly a, a, a desire to steer me towards being an athlete. And certainly I, I love sports and played sports, but it was it's very limiting. It's like, well, that's the only thing you can do. Um, and then, and then, when, and then uh, oftentimes those perceptions are even less favorable. Uh, so, for instance, uh, there's a story that opens the book where I'm in my first year of medical school, medical school and I'm in the classroom, uh, and then I go out and take a break uh, you know, between classes, come back in, and the professor is, approaches me and says, you know, are you here to fix the lights in the room? And this exchange kind of goes back and forth, and he escalates it and says, you know, I, why haven't you done what I called for you to do? So this really significant uh, case of mistaken identity. And, you know, here I am, a, a, a black male who's pretty insecure about being in this 
uh, elite medical school, and, and this is sort of the environment that I'm facing. And so it was sort of like the, in some ways, kind of set the table for some of the obstacles that I continue to face uh, during my career. And it also filters down to, uh, even as you must see it now in, in the medical community, to this doctor-patient relationship, that given that these interactions are much shorter, given the pressures that, that you were alluding to before, that preconceptions play an even larger role in how that relationship plays out. Certainly. So, because one of the things, one of the great neutralizers, I think, of prejudice is being able to get to know people and to establish relationships with people over time. Uh, so in many ways, medicine is working against that. You know, there's this, again, there's an immense pressure to see people in a short period of time. Uh, and it often this, the system is set up where you don't even see people consistently. So, you, you know, you'll see the, the team of people will see this person. So that sort of can further undercut the relationship component, which is so crucial when you and the person that you're seeing are different. And, and whether it's visually, but also in terms of culturally and, and, and other sorts of life experiences. And so it's a, it becomes a real problem, particularly for people who are less educated and more marginalized. Talk a little bit about how this is playing out with respect to health outcomes in the black community. Well, you know, there's a lot of factors um, that are at work. So when you talk about not having, you know, basically um, being in situations where you have less education, less uh, quality educational opportunities, less economic um, ac you know, access to care, that plays in a tremendous role because in certain settings, depending on your health insurance, whether you have health insurance at all, uh, and so and there's cases in the book where, I, where, I, where I, what I'll do is I'll take you know, the reader through systematically through different uh, scenarios where this plays out. So I, I go to an inner city uh, setting but also a, a rural clinic, and patients there are they're not sort of having the same opportunities that are afforded someone, you know, like, like, like you or I who have health insurance. You can go to the doctor or see the same doctor. Um, it's a very different uh, model uh, that, that people often will see. So the visits are shorter. Um, they're much more um, uh, sort of medication-focused kind of visits. Like, you know, you have a symptom, we address the symptom, we move on, but we're really missing in some ways what's actually happening with that person as an individual because there isn't the time um, to really build that relationship. If, it, it, if anything, you might need more time in situations like that um, to uh, make the connection between the doctor and the patient, but the, the, the reality is that often those settings you have less time. One of the other areas that you talk about where this is particularly difficult is the area that you decided to pursue, and that is the arena of mental health. Yes, right. So these problems uh, are in all all areas of medicine, I mean, you know, every specialty across the board, uh, feels like primary care and in psychiatry in particular, you know, the doctor-patient relationship takes on an even greater role. It assumes a greater importance. And unfortunately, those are two of the specialties where there's been, you know, this, this really significant pressure to um, see patients in a shorter and shorter visits. Uh, and and it's, just, it's tremendously problematic uh, when you think about, um, the, you know, how that, how that um, dynamic works. Um, so in the book, you know, there are a couple examples that I, that I talk about, you know, how this plays out. So, um, you know, there'll be a, there's one story later in the book where there's an African-American male. He, he has um, some issues with depression. His family, his wife and, and child died in a car accident. He turned to alcohol and some drug use after that took place. And just the system that he was set up and the kind of care that he could receive was just so uh, inadequate. I mean, just tremendously inadequate. And it was in stark contrast to what I'd seen in the previous month before when I worked in a, um, a special facility for people with alcohol and drug problems where they were getting sort of the, the world treatment. And it was just an amazing uh, experience to see how different it could be. You know, 30 days of treatment versus two days of treatment. Uh, it was just an amazing thing.
To what extent does the the lack of the small number of black doctors play a role in all of these issues we've been talking about? Well, you know, I think it has some role, for, particularly for certain patients. Um, so, in the, you know, just in terms of some numbers, uh, the, the African-American population nationwide is about 13%. Uh, in many of the, the larger cities where uh, medical schools and, and teaching hospitals are located, the numbers are much larger. You know, cities like Baltimore and Chicago and St. Louis, the cities that we hear about in the news where all these, these, these problems that are, that are taking place nationally, um, the, the population is much larger. Uh, and, but what happens is within the medical community is that the population of uh, physicians is extremely low. We're talking 3 4% in, in, in contrast to a population that's 40%. Now, I don't think that every you know, black patient needs a black doctor. I'm not suggesting that's the, the goal, uh, the end game, but I, I do think for a sizable number of patients, that could be a, a really important a role in terms of their comfort level um, with, you know, with the account. Because there's a large, there's a large history of, of the community itself uh, having a lot of mistrust and fear and wariness of the healthcare system. A lot of, you know, a lot of black, black folks um, have, have that uh, experience and sort of shared experience. And so often I find myself in the role as a young doctor of being kind of like a translator where um, I would be in the room and sort of assuring the patient that the medical team uh, was, was, having, was following the appropriate type of care. And so I was in that role quite a bit. And so, you know, as a young black doctor, you, you, I sort of found myself in this position, and it was really difficult because I was often one of the only black doctors in, it, in the, uh, those environments where I work. But the numbers of patients we saw who were black was very large. What has been or can be done, in your view, to increase those numbers? Well, I mean, there, so it's tough. Uh, one issue is you have to sort of start at the earlier points of life and get, you know, um, better education from the, we're talking the K through 12, getting people in the pipe, there's a term they use called pipeline, and getting folks even um, on, the, on the path of being prepared for these opportunities. So there, there, there's a huge amount of work to be done at that level. And then once you get to the levels of sort of high school and early college, is actually getting people the exposures and the experiences and the preparation to actually um, uh, be interested in, in the healthcare career and then to, you know, and then to be prepared to, to um, get into medical school and succeed. So I've, I've certainly been a part, uh, quite a bit of the, the latter part of engaging with high school and college students. And, and, and there's a number of summer programs that are scattered throughout the country uh, that really try and target and address these issues. You know, these are sort of programs that are summer, many of them are summer-based, but some that take place throughout the whole academic year. The problem is that these programs have great intentions, but they're, a lot of people don't know about them, and they're not, they're, they, they always struggle for funding. And so these are all issues that, you know, we're talking about what, what can the larger group of folks do. Um, you know, people that are involved with uh, the, the foundations of things need to sort of take a greater role uh, in encouraging that. So I think that's one part. Medical schools themselves also need to take a greater part in actually recruiting students because, see, some schools uh, will take a very passive approach to recruitment and just sort of accept, you know, just we'll, just, we'll, take what, we'll, we'll review the applications that come to our desk. Um, but not sort of acknowledging that there, there are really real barriers out there, even for students who may be well qualified to even applying to medical school, whether it's the fear of cost of how much it would cost or just the sense that they may not feel welcome. And so some schools have taken the, the lead in actually going out and recruiting um, students. So I think that's another, uh, you know, recruiting students from like uh, historically black colleges, for instance. Uh, so I think that's another role that can be played to address uh, this larger problem. Do there have to be specific programs put in place as a matter of public policy to begin to address this? Um, well, you know, that's, there's a, there's a couple challenges with that because, you know, it, it, in some ways uh, there's been tremendous pushback towards that. And, mm -hmm. and so several states um, have basically 
taking it where that you can't do that. You know, they sort of said that you can't actually um, take race into account in that sort of way, um, particularly with state schools. I mean, private schools have a lot more leeway in terms of what they can do, um, but from state-supported schools. So sort of making it a matter of public policy, um, that's a um, – that's a, that's a, I would say that's a controversial uh, issue. But what I would say is that, you know, what schools can do, uh, you know, race is one part of it, but there's other parts of, of when you talk about diversity is, you know, also there's an issue of sort of class diversity and even having doctors who come from different types of backgrounds. Um, even that, that, is a, that itself in and of itself can be a tremendous asset in uh, being able to interact with uh, patients who, you know, often aren't, um, you know, come from advantaged backgrounds. So I think, you know, there's other ways of, uh, of looking at issues strictly beyond race that can also be really helpful as well. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing an increase in the numbers, I mean, from the time that you were in medical school? Well, you know, at Duke, yes. So, so Duke has been in a situation where Duke's, uh, my medical school I went to, um, there was a woman named Brenda Armstrong who was a, a dean at, uh, at Duke, and she um, has made it sort of her life's mission to, to kind of um, to make Duke a different place in terms of its recruitment of, of upper underrepresented minorities. So certain pockets of schools have done really well. Nationally, um, things haven't really um, had a – there hasn't been a whole lot of movement in that direction, uh, honestly, from a national standpoint. Again, I think that goes back to larger issues in terms of, um, you know, education reform, education opportunity. Uh, and then it's just – I think there's also a larger problem in terms of how African-American people – are perceived uh, in terms of what avenues of success are still available. I really think that's a, an issue that, you know, you, you have a black president, yes, but there's issues in terms of uh, this larger perception that still plague our community uh, as well. What impact, if any, has the ACA had, the Affordable Care Act had on all of this? You know, um, it's, it was a start is what I would say. Uh, it certainly is not going to solve the problem. Um, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, one of the real um, limitations of the ACA is how um, Medic- uh, for instance, when, uh, when, when one of the provisions was designed to expand Medicaid um, you know, to uh, different states, and so the Supreme Court basically said that um, states had the, um, it's up to them. They can decide whether or not they want to expand Medicaid. And so many of the states that are in the South and in the Southwest uh, that are often poor and have large black populations are the ones that didn't expand and so you found that a lot of the people who might have needed these services the most are still, are still kind of falling through the cracks. Uh, in the last chapter of the book, I sort of take stock of that, you know, like where does the ACA fit into all this larger problem? And so I think there are there, there's stories that I talk about where you do see that there that has made a difference, but then there are others where you see that the, politis- the, the politicization of this um, has really still undermined it, and which I, I really find just... Um, in some ways baffling. I mean, I understand the nature of politics and how things are. Some issues will always be political, but it seems like healthcare. you know, if you think about it, it doesn't matter what your political beliefs are, you know, you know, diabetes and cancer doesn't um, target Republicans or Democrats or independents. You know, everyone is affected by these issues. And so it seems like if there's, if there's an issue where we could have a bipartisan uh, approach to it, it would be that. But uh, the reality is that we're still struggling with that. We were talking before about medical schools recruiting and what they could do. What about the issue of scholarships? This is something that, that you had to deal with. Yeah, um, that itself. So, again, it, there, there, there's, it depends on the, 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 the state versus the private. So private schools certainly have a lot more latitude in terms of how they can approach the issue. Um, certainly, um, you know, there's a tremendous amount of, uh, in terms of need-based scholarships, um, 
you know that that's something that that's certainly available. Uh, I think one 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 thing that's interesting is that in the past, in years past, there were actually more federal scholarships related to um, what they called um, the National Health Service Corps, where where students could go to medical school and they're, they're, they're either part of all of their expenses uh, would be paid in exchange for them serving some time in an underserved uh, you know medical community. So some of the, so, so that's something that that's on a national level that that certainly could be um, you know. We invested in it as a way to sort of encourage more, um, you know, people who from from lower income backgrounds to enter medicine who might be scared away because healthcare, I mean, medical school, the cost is really is, is enormous. And I think what I would say to that is that so some students will see that price tag and say, "There's no way I could do that." Um, but but the reality is that that many schools do have scholarships that maybe aren't advertised as well as they should be. Students aren't even aware of them. Like I just, I just sort of found, even with, I ended up getting a scholarship to, uh, to medical school, and I wasn't even aware of it at the time. It wasn't until I'd already applied, uh, and, and then I found out about it. So again, it's, it's an issue of our, our, is this information being disseminated to the folks who might be most in need of it? And, and I think that's still something that where the work needs to be done. What pressures do you feel as as a role model in all of this? Um, yeah, you know, it's something I grapple with, and I've grappled at, at different stages in my career. I've sort of had different emotions and feelings about it. Um, there's always that thing where it's a part of you that just wants to be, you know, being a doctor and being alive, life in medicine can, can be hard and challenging and for anyone. And, it's, and in some ways you just want to sort of be like everyone else. Um, but then there often are reminders that in some ways your experience or perspectives are different. Uh, and, and at times that feels like uh, it's honestly a, a burden, and at other times it feels like you know it's a great responsibility and something that's a, um, a privilege in ways. So it's something that I uh, kind of continue to, to grapple with, but I and I'm still always trying to figure out what my role is in that. In that, but I think for me, writing the book was in some ways uh, one effort that that I uh, sought to try and give voice to these larger issues that many uh, folks in my um, uh, framework experience. As you talk to other. African American doctors, is their experience similar to yours? Many, yes. Yeah. So uh, I've had so many um, doctors uh, from you know all regions of the country. So it's not like just being in the South or that kind of thing uh, made my experiences unique. So doctors from all different parts of the country who said very similar things. Uh, and, and what they often say is, "Thank you for writing my story." Is what I've heard a lot of folks say. So I think that uh, sort of speaks to this larger um, challenge and experience that's out there. And how do other doctors read this? How do they see it? How, what do they say to you that maybe they've missed in, in understanding all of this? Well, I've had a lot of classmates from medical school actually say, wow, I didn't realize um, your experience was that much different than my own. And so these are folks, you know, I was in the same lecture hall, in the same hospital wards. Um, you know, so, it's, so from the outside looking in, you say, well, we, we basically had the same experience. But in many ways, we didn't. And so uh, I've had many former classmates and people that were in school around the same time as I was who have given me that feedback. And at the same time, I've also had a lot of other classmates, I mean, just other doctors in general, who, you know, they're not black, but they have other experiences where they can relate to some of my own, whether they're Asian or uh, Hispanic or, you know, Jewish, Muslim. You know, I've had different people sort of be able to relate to different parts of my experience. Several women doctors who said they can understand some of the challenges uh, of going, you know, being a woman in medicine. So in some ways, the story uh, transcends strictly the black-white conversation, um, but certainly that's the framework uh, under which I write my book. And how does it inform your view as a doctor, strictly from a medical perspective? How do you think it impacts you? Well, I think sometimes it can make me more um, 
not always, but sometimes they can make me more understanding of where certain types of patients might be coming from, um, what their experience might be. I mean, you know, there's a thing, there's a theme in the book that I talk about quite a bit where, uh, you know, I myself was diagnosed with high blood pressure as a med- young medical student, um, seemingly healthy and, and, and really high blood pressure and also with some potential um, kidney-related problems from the high blood pressure. And, and I talk in the book quite a bit about how, how the struggles I had with addressing and, and dealing with this high blood pressure and, and changing my diet and, and the fact that there were psychological factors rooted in culture and in, in my background that made it harder. And so I think that's helped me um, when I interact with patients um, to sort of be able to understand sometimes where they're coming from. A lot of times in medicine, you'll get, patients will get labeled as you know, non-compliant um, and, but the doctors, because the person doesn't take a medication or isn't having the response the doctor thinks they should have, but sometimes they're not able to um, kind of get to what's really going on. Like, what are, the, what are the barriers this person has? What are the psychological factors that are at work? Uh, even within the medical world, I mean, these things are really important. Like, you know, why is this person not taking this medication, you know, or, or why are they not following the diet that, that they should? And so I think my own experience really informs that to a great deal. Dr. Damon Tweedy, his book is Black Man in a White Coat, A Doctor's Reflections on Race and Medicine. Dr. Tweedy, I thank you so much for spending time with us. It's a pleasure. Thanks again. Thank you.